This podcast is a HistoryNet article brought to life by an AI voice provided by InstaRead. You can find the original article and many more at HistoryNet.com. So many American pilots crash-landed in Sweden that the top brass wondered if they were doing it on purpose. By Gary G. Yerke. During World War II, American crews found sanctuary and fun in the neutral Scandinavian country. Aussie V. Jones, a 26-year-old first lieutenant in the U.S. Army Air Forces, was a war-tested pilot by the summer of 1943. Born in the small Georgia town of Camilla on August 6, 1916, Jones attended Louisiana State University and enlisted in the U.S. Army National Guard in the fall of 1940. He entered flight school a few months later, graduating in early December 1942, and was assigned as the pilot of a Boeing B-17 Flying Fortress. The next May, he and his crew flew their airplane from Dow Army Airfield in Maine to Raff Ridgewell Airfield in southeastern England, the eventual home of the 8th Air Force's 381st Bombardment Group. After they arrived, the crew named their bomber, tail number 423217, Georgia Rebel. Jones had completed five missions over Europe, but his luck ran out on July 24, 1943. On that day, Georgia Rebel was one of the 324 bombers that Brigadier General Ira C. Eaker, commanding general of the U.S. 8th Air Force, sent out on what was the 8th's first operation against targets in Nazi-occupied Norway. Georgia Rebel's target was an aluminum, nitrate, and magnesium manufacturing complex at Heroya, just south of Oslo. After releasing its bombs, the aircraft was hit by a barrage of anti-aircraft fire at 2.18 p.m. and was last seen by its group as it left the formation. One engine was smoking, another was out of commission, and fuel was leaking through a hole in the port wing. Jones and his navigator, 2nd Lieutenant Arthur L. Girton, agreed that a safe return to England was unlikely, so the young pilot swung the crippled aircraft northeast from Heroya toward neutral Sweden. Once over the Swedish town of Orjang, Jones turned north and flew low over rolling wooded hills for about 15 miles until he saw a long, open field just south of the village of Venaka. Local residents looked up as the plane passed over the field and circled back to make a perfect belly landing. Among the first to reach the plane was farmer Olaf Persson. I understood immediately that it was a British or American bomber because it said Georgia Rebel on the fuselage, and I saw a five-pointed star and the colors of the flag, Person told a reporter from the Swedish newspaper, Aftenbladet. So I hurried to the bog where the plane had crashed. Person greeted the pilot in English. Well, how do you do? He said. By the time Person reached the B-17, the Swedish military had also arrived and began to surround the wreck. I asked the pilot if anybody had been injured, Person recalled. The pilot, said that he and his nine buddies were safe and happy to have landed in Sweden, and he asked me to tell the Swedish military that they had machine guns on board and that they were all loaded, but there were no bombs. They had been released over Norway. Jones and his men were the first American aircrew to land in Sweden during the war. They were not the last. As a neutral country, Sweden was required by the Hague Convention of 1907 to intern any military personnel from belligerent nations who arrived within its borders. Sweden ended up accommodating many Americans. By war's end, more than 150 crippled American warplanes 
followed the Georgia rebel to land or crash land in Sweden, leading to the internment of 1,218 airmen, including Jones and his crew. The vast majority of the internees reached Sweden during a hectic 48-hour period in mid-June 1944, when no fewer than 34 B-17s and B-24 Liberators landed safely or crashed on Swedish soil. A Swedish newspaper, Trelleborgs Alahanda, reported that on June 20, after the 8th Air Force had deployed 1,965 heavies across Europe in one of the largest such operations to date, there was literally a queue of American bombers waiting to land at Bultofta Airfield in Malmo. A total of 21 bombers made forced landings in Sweden that day, by far the largest single-day influx of American aircraft in the country since the beginning of the war. After the planes were on the ground at Bultofta, according to Trelleborg's Alahanda, it was hard to find an empty spot at the airfield. What's going to happen during the next few days if a similar invasion continues? The paper asked. But the invasion continued the next day, June 21, with another 13 American bombers arriving. One American airplane to reach Sweden that June was a consolidated B-24 Liberator with the tail number 4251125, piloted by First Lieutenant Leander Page, Jr. Page had been interned in Sweden once before, after his B-24 Queen of Peace had landed there on January 4, 1944. Page was released and he returned to combat, and his plane was hit by flak over Pulitz, Germany, on June 20, damaging the right stabilizer, the rear bomb bay, the fuselage, and the two engines on the right wing. After being hit, the ship dived straight down, a U.S. intelligence officer later reported after interviewing the co-pilot, 2nd Lieutenant F. Leroy Qualley. The manual controls were found to be inoperative, so the pilot turned the autopilot on. The plane went on its back, then recovered. They flew for about 20 minutes more, and number two engine failed. A few minutes later, the autopilot ceased to work, and they went into a tight spin. The order for bailout was given. By this time, the airplane was over Swedish territory. Qualley said that after bailing out, he landed on a greenhouse and sustained cuts and bruises, while pilot Page hit the side of the bomb bay as he bailed out but suffered only minor injuries. The unmanned airplane crash-landed in a field near the village of Rostanga and burned for some time. Eight of the ten crew members were safe, although shaken and slightly injured. The body of Tech Sergeant Robert B. Kellerman, the engineer, was found some distance from the aircraft. According to reports, the body of the tail gunner, Sergeant Glenn A. Deck, was found either in the wreck or nearby. Page said later that both men had been paralyzed with fear. Another survivor said that Kellerman may have bailed out too late for his parachute to open fully, and that Deck was too frightened to bail out and may have waited too long to make the attempt, or he may have been prevented from exciting by the overwhelming centrifugal force. Page said that his own escape from the aircraft had been due to great luck, explaining that he had been literally thrown from the plane when it inverted and went into a spin. Page became the only American airman to be interned in Sweden twice. After landing, the surviving members of the crew were taken to a local inn and served a hot meal before being sent the next day to an internment camp at Fornas, near Falun. On July 3, the remains of Kellerman and Deck were interred at a cemetery in Malmo. Copilot Quali attended the funeral on behalf of the surviving members of the crew, along with representatives of the Swedish government, 
the U.S. Army, and the U.S. Army Air Forces. Some of the airplanes heading for Sweden never made it. On May 24, 1944, a B-17 with the tail number 42-107178 plunged into the sea off the southern coast of Sweden following a bombing raid on Berlin. According to the Ball turret gunner, Tech Sergeant Leonard A. Bielowski, the airplane's pilot, First Lieutenant William F. Nee, along with two other crew members, Second Lieutenant Reginald Aragona, the co-pilot, and Tech Sergeant Gaetano A. Sita, the top turret gunner, bailed out after the plane was hit by enemy aircraft fire or flak over Berlin. Apparently, the other members of the crew did not hear the order to exit the plane because the wiring on the back of the pilot's seat had caught fire, cutting off inter-aircraft communications. Frederick T. Neal, the second lieutenant who was serving as navigator, managed to extinguish the fire and jumped into the pilot's seat, telling Tech Sergeant Donald E. Spaulding, the tail gunner, to fly as co-pilot. Close to the Swedish coast near the village of Ernehusen, the rest of the crew, except for Neil, bailed out. Sergeant Robert Heimbach, the waste gunner, went out first and drowned. Spaulding was killed when he hit the water. Bielowski and Tech Sergeant Philip J. Branner, the radio operator, both landed uninjured. The bombardier, 2nd Lieutenant Richard Markley, landed in the water and was rescued by Swedish fishermen. As for Neil, he went down with the ship, according to Bielowski, who spoke with investigators after the incident. On July 1, several months later, Neil's body was recovered near the coastal village of Geslev, about three miles from where the plane had crashed. The survivors of Nee's B-17 joined the growing population of internees in Sweden. The numbers continued to rise, particularly in the first six months of 1944, until there were about 900 by the end of June. As the numbers swelled, so did concerns that some of the airmen had diverted to Sweden simply to avoid further combat. In May 1944, the New York Times wrote that the interned airmen were being held in one of Sweden's most picturesque regions, the province of Dalakarlia, and that they were playing all sorts of games, reading and enjoying great freedom of movement. In August, a multi-page photo essay in Collier's magazine showed U.S. airmen in tuxedos laughing and drinking at a Stockholm restaurant surrounded by beautiful Swedish women. Others were photographed skiing, riding bicycles, and enjoying a dip in a heated indoor swimming pool. General Henry H. Arnold, commander of the U.S. Army Air Forces, was not pleased by the coverage and he ordered an investigation. He even sent an uncommonly unfriendly memo to his longtime friend, Brig. Gen. Carl A. Spots, commander of the newly formed U.S. Strategic Air Forces in Europe, USSTF, noting that an increasing number of aircraft were landing in neutral countries like Sweden and Switzerland, without indication of serious battle damage or mechanical failure or shortage of fuel. He wondered whether the landings were intentional evasions of further combat service. Spots blew up over the implication that the crews were cowards or lacked the will to fight. Such is a base slander against the most courageous group of fighting men in this war, he wrote back, adding that the number of interned airmen amounted to only a small fraction of the crews dispatched. Nevertheless, Spots followed up on Arnold's concerns. Major General David N.W. Grant, the air surgeon for the USSTF, wrote to Brigadier General Malcolm C. Grow, Director of Medical Services at USSTF headquarters in Washington, D.C., saying that Arnold believed, and I agree with him, 
that the best survey of crew morale should be carried out by flight surgeons. One flight surgeon who was selected for the task was Major John D. Young, Jr., who had been a passenger on the Liberator Mista Chick that had made a forced landing in Sweden on June 20. As a non-combatant, he was not interned with the crew, but was attached to the American legation in Stockholm to provide medical care to Americans. While in Sweden, Young interviewed about 500 internees and concluded that the general feeling among them was one of great thankfulness to have survived and that they would not like to repeat this experience. But after a week or two, the more harrowing aspects of the experience tended to fade, Young said, and the men would begin to feel restless and want to get back to flying again. There were five main internment camps in Sweden, Fallen, Retvik, Lokabrunn, Grena, and Molsko, and Young visited all of them. He said that the internees were free to leave the camps and mix with Swedish civilians, and that the men were able to freely date Swedish women. I think it has been remarkable that they have gotten on as well as they have, Young said. Queried by an Air Force's intelligence officer, Latour, Colorado, Ari Stone, Young said that the internees had not force landed in Sweden to evade further military service. There are aircraft reports to substantiate that their planes were badly damaged and that it was foolhardy to attempt to return to England, Young said, adding that, beyond any doubt, they had used their good judgment in deciding to head for Sweden. In addition, the USS Staff's Office of the Surgeon sent out a questionnaire to every squadron surgeon serving in the 8th Air Force at the time, and representatives of the office made personal visits to units that were suspected of having low morale or whose personnel had made force landings in Sweden. At the end of the process, Gro concluded that five crews may have landed in Sweden for the purpose of avoiding further combat. But his report emphasized that the number of crews that had done so was so low that it is not considered to be of any particular significance. As the winds of war began to shift inexorably toward the Allies, the Swedes saw fit to release the internees at a relatively rapid pace, as quickly as they could be flown out of the country. By the end of November 1944, in fact, the number of internees had fallen to about 200, down from a near high of 1,076 in mid-October. By mid-January 1945, the number was just 25. Herschel Wolf Johnson, the American minister in Stockholm, wrote to Acting Secretary of State Edward R. Statinius on November 24, 1944, expressing relief and praising the Swedes for the way they had treated the Americans. The treatment in every respect which the Swedes have accorded our aviators has been humane and understanding to a high degree and beyond the bounds of what are their obligations under international law and custom, Johnson said. After their release from internment, sometimes following protracted negotiations between American and Swedish officials over, for example, the sale of North American P-51 Mustangs to the Swedish Air Force, most of the American bomber boys were returned to England and further combat. Some released internees were shot down a second time. Arthur Gurton, the navigator on Georgia Rebel, was killed on April 28, 1944 in Georgia Rebel II. Os V. Jones of Georgia Rebel was also aboard Georgia Rebel II. He survived but spent the rest of the war in a Nazi prison camp. After the war, Jones continued to serve in the Air Force and flew B-52s and KC-135 tankers 
as commander of the Strategic Air Command's 4241S Strategic Wing at Seymour Johnson Air Force Base in North Carolina. But Jones never forgot the American airmen who had lost their lives in service to their country in World War II, including the 40-plus men who were killed when their planes force-landed or crashed in neutral Sweden. Thank you for listening to this HistoryNet article. For more in-depth, compelling historical content, please visit HistoryNet.com.